This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're in uh, a Psalm of David. And by the way, the fir- other than uh, I think Psalm 10, the first 30 or 40 Psalms are all Psalms of David. And this is one, and remember, these are in many ways just worship. So sometimes they're very targeted toward a situation. How Great Thou Art is a, is a song that was built around a situation that happened to someone, to a man, and he, losing his family in a, in a shipwreck. And there are times when our music, our worship, comes from the events of our lives and maybe even some of the pain and anguish of our lives and some of the blessings and great things God had done. And then sometimes... Our worship songs just come from someone spending time with God. And so David does both of those. And this is a plea for deliverance and forgiveness. It's a, it's, it's a song begging God <clears throat> to deliver him. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You know, that's an interesting thing. He says that he, he says to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And really your soul is the aspect of you that God loves. Your soul is... Your soul is the part of you that makes you unique. Your body is, uh, your body, uh, your flesh is so corrupted by sin that God uh, just tosses it away and gives you a new body. Now, I I believe you have the same DNA, so you actually, in appearance, look similar, although it's a perfect DNA. It doesn't have all the issues that you have. If you struggle with weight or if you struggle with, uh, with some kind of malady that that has to do with your heritage, the uh, things that are passed on to you by uh, your ancestors, you won't have those things. Your DNA and all your body will be perfect, but it'll be perfectly you. And you, a lot of people say, "I don't want to be perfectly me. I want to I want to look like Tom Cruise." One, <laughs> there's not going to be vanity in heaven like that. But more importantly, you are something important, real important, and and uh, the price Jesus paid for you is the same price he paid for everybody. And uh, you and your glorification of God is a unique glorification of God. And the way your heart and your mind operate and the way you think is very valuable to God. God places high value and he loves you. And he wants you to be, he wants you to be the you are but in perfection. And, and the way he does that is, is for our souls to be offered up to him, our, our heart and our mind offered up to him. And he says, oh my God, I trust in you. And we go, we go through this all the time. But the reason we go through this all the time is because the Bible is about learning how to trust God. This is the textbook of how we trust God. And so when he says, when I put my trust in you, I, that word for trust is the idea of faith. I, I trust you. And uh, let me not be ashamed. And what he's saying is, he said, don't put me out there on display because there's lots of things for us to be ashamed of. But shame would be, would mean that we're still under the curse of the sin and we're not. 
And by the way, a lot of a lot of people live in the bondage of shame all the time. And shame over the failures of the past, shame over not not doing or not being what they what they perceive that they should have been, and the loss that may have occurred because of that. And so they live in a lot of shame and a lot of of pain that comes from shame. And I want you to hear me today. That right there may be the most dis, de, uh, debilitating aspect of the lostness or the. Uh, depravity of sin is that not only do you have to experience the pain that goes along with the failure and the and and the death of sin but then it lingers in the form of shame and so many people are weighted down not as much by the sin of their lives they may have even grown out of and had been matured by God through some of those things but they live with the shame of the past and the perceived failures of their lives so that they feel like they're never going to be what they could have been. And I want you to hear me today. You are becoming what you should have been. And you are doing that because you are going to always struggle with that because that was a part of your fallenness. And that's the part of the fallenness that God has given you to overcome. And the glory is not in the accomplishment. The glory is in, in the overcoming. And, and God glor- make, glorifies himself in your overcoming. And so what you're being, what you're oftentimes allowing to, to hinder you, allowing to debilitate you is shame over something that God is literally glorifying himself in because he has delivered you from it and he is, he is, he has made you new by it. It really is counterintuitive. It really is against the grain. You, you should not be ashamed of your, the sin of your past. You should glory in the deliverance of that. And let me tell you, in your mind and in your heart, I really can't, can't focus on this enough. There are those who you will say, let's just take drunkenness. Let's take somebody who had alcoholism as a problem. There are those who say, I was an alcoholic and I lost my family and I, or I lost my job or I lost my career and alcoholism destroyed my life. The same person with the proper perspective and not being weighted down by shame can say, I was an alcoholic and it totally destroyed everything I had. But God, you notice that, but God delivered me from it. And now I have a life that I could have never had without it. And notice it's the same situation but the perspective changes. The shame that weighs that person down and drives them into the ground is destructive. But the person who is glorying in the deliverance that God has provided to them through that are being propelled forward by that deliverance. And the only difference is one, pe- one person is glorying in the power of God at work in their life. And the other pe- person is being blanketed and weighted down by the shame of their perceived, um, the perceived loss of outcome that could have been. And the truth is, it might not, the truth is, there's a likelihood that it never was going to be. It never was meant to be. You could not, you had to go through it in order to overcome it. And he says, let me not be ashamed, which means let me not live in shame. He says, let not my enemies triumph over me. 
And who are our enemies? Our enemies are, there are people out there that are out to get us for the paranoid among us. That, that is a true, there are people who are angry with you or don't like you or have some issues. I, I know there are people out there for me who, who are that way. But our real enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's the spiritual battle that we're in. And that battle, they're not going to triumph over us. The forces of darkness, the fallen angels, the demons, Satan, those things, those entities and those organizations and those beings are not going to triumph over us. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed, meaning let no one who is trusting and being patient and allowing God to move, don't let any of us be ashamed. David says, I don't want to be ashamed. He said, don't let shame rule our lives, Lord. Deliver us. We're using that illustration of a person who, who had an alcoholism problem. He, he's saying, don't let them live in the pain of the shame. Don't deliver them from the alcoholism and then deliver them from the shame that the devil's trying to place on them. He says, let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. He says, let the folks be ashamed who are, who are doing things to people without a cause that are just being treacherous and deceptive. And we're seeing more of that more and more in the world we live in today. And it's out in the open because God is bringing things to light. Let, you know, God, you deal with them. Let them be ashamed, not us. And do we have a reason for shame outside of God? Yes. Do we have a reason for shame inside the relationship we have with God? Oh, no, we don't. Because God has delivered us and there's glory in that. He says, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm preaching the same sermon. But the good news is the good news, and it's not a hard good news, it's a simple good news. And, and the simple good news is that God's got a plan for us, and that's what this verse says. Good news is God orders the steps of the righteous, and he's got a plan for each person. And it's a unique plan, and it's a unique path, and it's a unique. Now, the door through it is the same door, that's Jesus, and the way maker is the same person, and that's Jesus. But the way he makes for me and you are different because what he's doing to glorify himself is unique to us. And so he says, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Notice he says, set my path. Teach me your word, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. He's the way maker. I am the truth and I am life. He says, I'm the door. I'm the gateway to that. For you are the God of my salvation. On you, I wait all the day. And what he means is, is, until God moves, really no use in doing anything. And I will say that too. So many times as Christians, we want to conjure up the movement of God. And we at Lake Community Church need to make sure we're not doing that. We're not trying to conjure up the movement of God. We're gonna be faithful, be expectant, be faithful, be expectant, but not try to conjure up the movement of God. Watch for the movement of God and join him when he moves. He says, uh, he says, and, and we'll wait for it until he moves. But when God moves, then there's nothing can stop it. And that's what we want. He says, remember, O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving. That's a good, great verse. And it's quoted a lot in songs and quoted a lot in uh, these little daily devotions or daily verses of the day. Remember, O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from the old, or there, the kids say, from the old and death. They are. God's uh, mercies and his loving kindness is from, is from eternity past. And so 
do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. And he's asking God to do what God has promised to do, which God has said, I remember you. I'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and remember them against you. Now, remember, he doesn't forget the sin. He changes who the sin is attributed to. And that's important. God does not forget something because he can't forget anything. He knows everything. God attributes the sin that you have against you no more. Who does he attribute sin, the sin to? Jesus. He, Jesus bore and was the weight, took on the weight of all sin. So the attribution of sin was no longer on us, but it was placed on him. And so it is remembered against Jesus so that he conquered it and glorified himself through it. And so your sin, now Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace might abound, that Jesus' power might be more evident than before? The answer is no, by, by no means. But all the sin of our life, sin that we committed, sin that we have omitted, sin that we know about, sin that we have no idea because just of our fallen state, all that sin placed on Jesus, taken to the cross, paid for, overcome by the resurrection, and now we have newness of life. <clears throat> so it's not held against us at all. It's remembered against us no more. It's remembered against him to the glory of Jesus. He says, do not remember my sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. Just know me, God. I just want you to know me. He says, for your goodness sake, O Lord. And God does that because he is a good God. He's a good father. And he, he, he need I say more, he is a good father. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. God's way is good and pleasing and upright. And he teaches us sinners his ways. That's that salvation. That's that offering your soul up to be transformed by him. The humble he guides in justice. And humility is important. The shame can cause humility, but that's the wrong kind of humility. That's beaten down humility. Humility, true humility is power. In fact, when Jesus is described as humble, it's the picture of a horse with a bridle in it. It means that he is powerful, but he is sensitive to the leadership of his father. God wants us to be humble. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be overcomers, but he wants us to be very sensitive as that bridle sits on that back gum and is very sensitive there. He wants us to be very sensitive to his leadership. And, and that's what true humility is. The humble he guides in justice and humble he teaches his way. When you were sensitive to his leadership, he teaches us all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. You know, we talk about God having a path for us. Notice he says all the paths, meaning there's a multitude of paths. There's not a multitude of ways. You got to get that straight. There's only one door and there's only one way, and that's Jesus. But his path for you in salvation and in glorifying him 
is unique to you. Now that doesn't mean that you can go through some other way to get there. There's not a, there's not other ways set to get in. The way, there's only one way maker. There's not any extra doors. There's only one door and that's Jesus. There's only one source of truth, that's Jesus. There's only one life, that's Jesus, okay? But <clears throat> notice he says, and David understands, all the paths of the Lord, meaning there are many paths because there are many for every person who's in, in the way of the righteous, for every person who has righteousness by faith, for every person like that, there's only one, there's a path, a unique path for them. He says, and in each one of them, there's mercy and truth, okay? Mercy is where God uh, does not force us to have to deal with uh, the consequences of who we are. And then there's truth, which means God doesn't. We don't have to have those consequences. He gives us mercy, and then he provides us truth, which orders the path properly. He says, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies, meaning those who actually do what he teaches you as truth. And there's so many out there who, who want to have their own truth. And I love it when I hear people say on TV, I don't love it, I, I can't stand it. But they say, you you need to find your own truth. You Your own truth is what, what got you where you're at, okay? And it's not a truth, it's a lie. You, so when they, anybody says, that's my truth, what they're telling you is that's the lie I'm telling myself, okay? Because there is only one truth. Do you hear what I said? I said, if a person says to you, there's an eagle flying right across in front of you, that's powerful. A giant eagle just flew right behind the wind over the lake right in front of me. Anyway, the, the path, the person who says to them, I, I need to seek out my truth, what they're doing is I need to find reasons to believe in the lies I keep telling myself. There's only one truth. I want you to hear me today. Truth is not, truth is not something that's subjective. There is, I, there's no way to get around this. There's only objective truth. Truth is not subjective, okay? He says, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Notice David said his iniquity, which is the terribleness of his sin, is great, and I need to be pardoned from it, and we all do, okay? The amount of, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm way worse than everybody, listen to me, really. Just look at me right now and listen to me. Tr tr truly, truly, I have to live with me every day. And I can imagine the things, the depth, the struggle that you have, but I can't understand it because you're the only one who can. You're the only one that's had to live it. But I can promise you that this, the depth of your depravity and the amount of your iniquity is every bit as bad as mine. And mine is every bit as bad as yours. Okay. And that's clearly laid out in scripture. And so if you're allowing the enemy to beat you down with that shame thing again, that's a prisoner that keeps you captive. If you're allowing the enemy to beat you down because you're worse than everybody else, you're not worse than everybody else. You're not. We're all equally terrible. <laughs> Isn't that a great place to be? We're all equally terrible. It is a great place to be once you realize that you're all equally terrible because then the grace of God flows in like a river and it changes you. And it gives you hope and it, and it removes that weight of pain and shame and death that's on you. 
and realizing that everybody, I, people say, I, I say to people all the time, what do you expect from other people? Do you have expectations of people? No, I expect them to mess up and do wrong and be sinful and act right bad. I expect them to totally do that because that's who they are. And you say, well, that's just a negative view of them. No, no, you, you ain't added the, the main ingredients, the God. Uh, I expect them to be terrible. I expect God to move in their life. That's what I expect. Jesus, uh, God said he's in the latter days, and I believe we are in those days, he'll pour out his, his spirit on all flesh. And I see doses of it just coming down from heaven like giant, not a rain, not like, like sheets of rain coming down. God's grace is all over the place, and he's moving, and his mercies are good all the time. And so really, I expect people to do wrong and not do right, and I expect God's grace to get in the middle of it and make a whole, make the whole difference. That's a good way to look at it. I expect me to be awful and God to glorify himself by proving that he can take my awfulness and make something out of it. That's what I, that's what I expect. When you start expecting those things, you start seeing them. He says, who is the man that fears the Lord? Fear of the Lord is the realization of how terrible you are and how great he is. That's what it is. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. It, once you come to that realization, then God teaches us the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. Notice that even though we're all those terrible things, he says, I'm going to make you dwell in prosperity. He says, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Wow. What he's saying is we're going to have control over this down the road, even though it seems like we have no control now, which we don't. God has control. The secret of the Lord is that with those who fear him. God teaches us those deep things that really change life. He says, and he will show them his covenant, which is, his, which is a relationship, but it's a relationship of a promise that is never broken. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Meaning I keep my eyes on him and he's going to keep me from the traps of life. That's what that that's what that means. Keep my eyes focused on him. He keeps me out of the traps of life. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. God, he's just making a statement. God, turn to me because I'm desolate and afflicted. Everybody's desolate and afflicted at times or really all the time. You just realize it sometimes. Raise your hand. Bless me. Okay. I want him to turn toward me. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. And I, I, I learned to deal with the trouble of life and I learned to allow God to be in control of it. I learned to trust him in it. And then he gives me another trouble to deal with. And I learn and I go stronger and stronger and stronger dealing with these troubles. He says, look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. He just now, he just now, he, he repeat me sometimes. He says, look on my afflictions and my pain and forgive all my sins. Commit, consider my enemies for they are many. and They hate me with a cruel hatred. And, and the forces of the, the spiritual forces of darkness do hate us with a cruel hatred. But we are protected because we have the angelic hosts that minister to us. And that means they serve us and take care of us. And so he, he says, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. For I put my trust in you. And he's just restating what he started out with. He says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And shame doesn't have to control you. Integrity and uprightness can. 
And all you have to do is just wait on God to provide it. He said, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. And that's, he's asking God to be a promise-keeping God. And that's who he is. He's a promise keeper. And I hope that has been a source of encouragement. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.